Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Night Light. Step away from the mainstream and gather around as we enlighten the world and our realities and travel this cosmic journey we call life. Join us as we share with you and provide that beacon that can guide us all to a better way. Explore with us as we examine a metaphysical montage of spiritual insights covering everything from the mundane to the magical, UFOs to unicorns, and everything in between. This is a time of awakening, of sharing and evolving, of spreading our wings and soaring on the cosmic breath of creation. Come and join with other light-minded spirits as we weave our lights together to seek understanding, enlightenment, and with a little luck, some wisdom. This is Nightlight, a reminder that you are never alone. Welcome to Nightlight, everybody. Thank you so much for sharing your precious time with me tonight. I promise you it will definitely be a worthwhile investment. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I've got, I've got with me tonight David Lieberman, and he has written an amazing book called Transcendental Judaism, and Enlightening the Eternal Within to Uplift Ourselves and Our World. Uh, while the book is is focused on Judaism. I, I think that, and I was just mentioning to him, it applies to everyone because a transcendental state is something that everyone does seek, and it is, it is a wonderful way of connecting with with source that is certainly within all of us. And it answers some some interesting questions, which um, of course we have all endeavored to find the answer to. It's the eternal search for. And uh, I'm not sure that we are, anyone really ever makes it totally, but but certainly we get pieces and breadcrumbs all over the place. Is it really possible to connect with God? Can we find spirituality in Judaism? And the answer to both these questions is yes. Traditionally, Judaism teaches that we connect with God through the performance of the commandments, the mitzvah. Um, which is an it comes from an Aramaic word meaning connection. But, but what if we are not mitzvah observant in the traditional ways? Can we still experience a palatable closeness to God, and have a sense that we are all connected as one? To this question, our sages also answer yes. Through the meditative quieting of the mind, we can directly experience that still small voice. It is the awesome voice of the infinite intelligence that created and upholds our world with compassion and justice. When we repeatedly experience it, we enliven its qualities into our lives, 
we walk in God's ways. And when we do so, we uplift not only ourselves, but the world around us as well. As I said before, this practice, this thought, this philosophy applies to every living person and creature on the planet. And the book is a very worthwhile read because it it reminds you of the source and how it it does enhance our lives and the lives of everyone around us. So I would strongly suggest you check the book out. It's a, it's an amazing read. It will create a whole bunch of questions inside of you, which is which is what a good book does, and it may send you on a journey that you don't expect, but the results of which could be life-changing for you. So welcome to the show, David. I'm so glad that you could share your time with me tonight, especially since I got the date wrong. <laughs> Barbara, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here, and uh, I look forward to our conversation. Oh, me too. Me too. I think that, um, you know, when you when you put transcendence or transcendental into any topic, into any any title of anything, that's that's where I go to immediately because finding a transcendent a transcendent aspect within yourself and being able to uh, reach for it and touch into a level of awareness that we don't have in everyday life is something that most people are seeking, even if they don't even know they're seeking it. It's it's a journey I do believe that everyone is on, whether they're aware of it or not. I agree with you, and and I even allude to that in uh, in the preface or in the early parts of my book that this this is not as you said earlier this is not a a goal a yearning uh, just for just for Jewish people it's a universal goal it's a universal yearning and I wanted to write a book that um, that uh, brought out the uh, this concept, uh, this idea of the oneness of everyone and everything in the universe, uh, and to bring that out through the deep history of the Jewish texts, uh, just uh-huh. because that's my background, my, my religion, and, and um, my, uh, uh, my experience. Uh, and uh, in doing so, uh, I also wanted to... Uh, uh, open up the idea that um, there are many, many uh, different paths to touching the transcendent through many different uh, religious, spiritual, secular uh, ways of doing so. It's a universal urge, a universal yearning, um, and my book looks at it through a, a Jewish lens, and we can talk about looking at it through many other lenses as well tonight if we want to. Well, I, well, I think any, no matter what, what, what philosophy people have about creation and and our purpose and and why we're here, um, it, the 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 concept of God rests within everybody. And of course, Judaism is an is an ancient ancient collection of works with with the Torah and and the Kabbalah. And uh, not the oldest, but one of the oldest, I'm sure. And and 
I understand you're utilizing the Bible because, of course, the Old Testament is such a wonderful source of, of stories and parables that that teach you about the the you know how how we have a relationship with the source of all creation. And you know, I, I use sometimes the word God and sometimes divine and sometimes the source. And and mm-hmm. I guess. Everybody should use whatever term is comfortable for them. Uh, but, but it's, you know, obviously we came from somewhere. We were created by something because of something. And, and of course, most of us are searching for why. <laughs> you know, and are right. you out of your mind? Right. Why am I here? <laughs> right, um, right. So, so it's, 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 I think that the, it's the transcendental that got me. It's, it's the, it's, it's having people understand that, that regardless of their their background, that having those moments of transcendence and and it it doesn't it's not always the moment where you when you experience a transcendental moment, you are not necessarily in a house of worship or praying. Sometimes it hits you unaware and it's magical. And so <laughs> I think we have to explain to them what what transcendental means, and and you're coming through a a, a, a Judaic system, and I'm coming from a, a different system, and yet we are speaking the exact same thing. We are Barbara, and I'm going to speak in largely secular terms. I think this evening, um, and sure. that's a great way to start is to talk about. What do we mean by transcendent? And if you just go to the dictionary, uh, which is sometimes a good place to start, even in very uh, profound topics, um, something that is transcendent is is beyond. You, you go beyond. Uh, uh, it's not right there in front of you. And the transcendental experience, uh, for me, uh, and for many people that I've spoken with, it's an experience of going beyond your normal sense of awareness, even go, like going beyond thought, going beyond emotion. You're going beyond these things to the source of them. Um, one, one example of, of, of the different types of subjective experiences of a transcendental experience for me has been that sense of just sitting so quietly that there are no thoughts and no emotions. It's just like I'm in a, I'm in a uh, sort of nowhere land. So that's an example. Another example, uh, the subjective experience of, of having a transcendental experience is a sense of supreme quiet or peace has descended upon me. And another type of experience that sometimes comes with this is a sense of, and this is a little bit hard to explain, but it's a sense of all-knowing. But it's not that I'm knowing anything but it's a sense of somehow a completeness of knowledge, but again, not of any specific knowledge. 
And, and, and the last one that I'll describe right now is the sense of oneness, the sense of connectedness with everything around us or everything around me as though I was part of a, like one gigantic, perfectly well-oiled synchronous machine uh, where, yes, there's different parts to it, but really it's one, we're all one. Uh-huh. And I bet that many of your listeners right now are shaking their heads up and down saying, <laughs> yes, I have, I have had an experience with one or more of those at any one time. Uh, and they may or may not have happened in a house of worship. Uh, you were describing to me when we spoke yesterday briefly uh, about sort of a magical experience uh, you had where everything came together. And I, I invite you to talk about it if you'd like. And, um, I, you know, I can talk very briefly about, you know, some other people, what their experiences are. But, yes, we have this. And, and, and the reason that we do is because we're never not connected with our source. These are experiences uh-huh. of our source. And so when we fall into them or when we purposefully sit and perform a practice that quiets the mind and lets us let our attention go inward instead of being habitually focused outward, then, then we can touch that and have that experience. Uh, did, 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 do you want to share with the, with the audience? Oh, sure. I, you may have done this in the past, but uh, what, what no, your no, experience actually, of it was? Actually, I, I, I don't think I have. Um, first of all, I call, you call it transcendence. I use a, 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 you know, transcendence is a wonderful word. I, I call it a mountaintop experience. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I was in high school and I was part of a youth choir, and the youth choir was invited down to a, a huge, huge church in New York City uh, on the west side and uh, to, say, to sing with the adult choir uh, the Alleluia Chorus. And, um, you know, youth choirs, our voices were pure. Well, not mine. They put me close to the, <laughs> to the best singer because they could drown me out, but... But but the music was so uplifting, it was worth it. But anyhow, so we went down in a bus, and we walked in the front door, and the church was very empty, and it was it was dark. It was a cathedral-like experience. And we walked down these, this huge center aisle, and you could hear our footsteps echoing. And, and at the very, very end of this aisle was the, the, the choir for the church was waiting for us, and you know, we, we had to do a rehearsal, and so, um, you know, we left our coats and stuff in the pews, and we lined up, and the organ began, and because there was nobody in the church other than us, um, it filled the church. It was just, it was like you were, first of all, embraced by the music, and we went through the entire chorus, and as we were singing, it was almost I, I, I can only, you know, describe from my sense of it, I was lifted out of body. And at the time, I, I didn't even know what that term was. 
but it, mm-hmm. you felt an energy just swirl into you and lift you up. And I probably sang right on key for that entire period of time and and when and and it was it was you were being carried away by the music you were being lifted up and it had a huge ceiling and it was almost as though as we were singing we were not alone and and when we were all done and and the music we stopped singing and the organ stopped playing and the last the last echoes of the organ and the sanctuary died away we turned and looked at each other, and every single person there, the organist, the director, the adult choir, the, the children's choir, um, youth choir, sorry, um, we all had tears streaming down our eyes, our faces, and, but nobody said anything. And, and we went and we had dinner, and we came up, you know, a couple of hours later. We, we performed it again in the church, this time with five or 600 people there, and people afterwards were, you know, giving compliments to the director and saying how beautiful it was. And it was pretty. It was nowhere near like it was before. And the director said, you know, they did a beautiful job. It was, yes, it was, it was beautiful. It was a wonderful experience, he said, but the rehearsal had magic in it. And at those moments where we were singing in the rehearsal, you were surrounded by the essence of the divine. You just knew mm-hmm. that, that there was something else there, and you were soaring with the music. It was mm-hmm. just the most magic. Now, I'm almost 80, and this happened when I was probably 15 or 16, and mm-hmm. I can relive that moment in a heartbeat. It was yeah. that magical. Yeah. And. Yeah. You know, since since there, there there have been other moments, but they haven't quite been that magical. But but it's yeah. the same essence of of no. It, it's really quite magnificent in that you know you have all the answers to everything, and you don't need to even ask the questions because the answers are are already a part of you, and you don't mm-hmm. want to breathe because you don't want to lose the moment. But but it does pass. But but mm-hmm. those moments reminds you that you're a part of something so much bigger than just this planet. It's just amazing. Yes, so. it is. And, and um, again, when I talked to other people, I spoke with a friend of mine at the time. He must have been 75 years old. He, he talked about his experience when he was 19. Never forgot it. And, wow. and you know, another person, probably he's, you know, he's 63 years old now. He had an experience maybe when he was 30. Never forgot it. Um, and, 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 and so, yes, they stick with you. And their intensity you know, can, certainly can vary. I, you know, I think the first, your first time, uh, it, it, it takes you by surprise and, and it's indelible. And uh, yet, um, when you have the good fortune to bring yourself into that experience again and particularly if you do it over and over and over again through through the use of a technique that facilitates transcendence and uh, uh-huh. that 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 sense of of wholeness uh, that sense of an of an anchor that sense of the thing that you said you, you have all the answers but 
No specific answer. It's, they're within you, you said. The answers are within you. That uh-huh. exact same feeling uh, that, I'm, that, I, that I'm talking about. Um, and the repeated experience of that um, enlivens that, that oneness, um, uh, that silence, that, etern- that eternal. It enlivens it in us so that you said it comes and then it inevitably goes. And I submit that, yes, for many of us right now, in our societal, personal and societal path in evolution, it comes and it goes. Uh, but I'm suggesting uh, through Hebrew texts uh, uh, and other experiences that that does not necessarily have to be the case, that, that, that over time the repeated experience of that silence, it becomes then lively in our awareness as we go about doing the other activities uh, in our lives. Um, uh, and, and that doesn't mean that, do, that it's, it's important for everybody to understand, I feel, that if you, if you even choose to dedicate your life to this, it doesn't mean you're, you put on a white robe and go to the mountaintop and wait for the mothership. It, no. it, it's, a, it's a way of life and um, not always easy at, at many times, but if you can get to that place inside of yourself, nothing, nothing ever is wrong. It's, it's, it, it comes, things come to you because you need them and, and you experience them and you move on. And I think, you know, there there have been sages and um, certainly, you know, Tibetan monks, but, but in Judaism especially, when someone has walked with God, it, it doesn't mean that they took a stroll down a pathway. It means that, that they were so much a part of and aware of the God presence within and around them that just just standing in the middle of a field is walking with God when you when you recognize how God is all around you and a part of you. Yes, yes. In Psalms, uh, King David uh, said, prays to God. He says, "Do not cast me out of your presence, or take your Holy Spirit away from me." So he's asking for that Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, we say Ruach Hakodesh. He's asking for that Holy Spirit to be with him uh, at all times. And uh, that doesn't mean that he still doesn't, King David doesn't sit on his throne and make rulings and do this and do that and do the other thing. It's the, uh, it, 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 it's that sort of that still small voice. And when I use that term, I'm referring to, to uh, First Kings uh, where Elijah is on the mountaintop and you may remember the story. There's the wind and the rain and the earthquakes, uh, and you know God is not in any of those. And then there is, and afterwards there's the quiet, and and Elijah hears the still small voice in the quiet that comes afterwards. Uh-huh. So that's what that when I say the still small. So that still small voice, uh, if it can stay with us. Um, then we sort of have 
instead of in the background, but maybe on even footing uh, with our regular experience of thinking and feeling and acting and everything else we do, still that sense that that um, that that source uh, uh, is 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 uh, is always with us, and, and and that's why I named the the um, subtitle of my book. It, it doesn't say um, uh, transcendental Judaism uh, connecting with the eternal within to uplift ourselves in our world. It says transcendental Judaism enlivening the eternal within to uplift ourselves in our world. It's already there, as you said. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it just needs, we just need to let ourselves put, let ourselves, let our attention uh, go to it. And then, and, and then it will be, it will be enlivened uh, for us. And I'm not sure where to go next. I, I could talk a little bit. I don't want to get too deeply into theology, although to, you know, to remind us of Genesis, um, you know, where God creates the world out of nothing uh, uh, and uh, s- simply speaks, speaks, uh, and, and the world comes into into being. Um, in in um, in in mystical Judaism, which is often referred to generally as Kabbalah, uh, the there's a term for that hidden God uh, from which everything springs. Uh, it's not used in the Hebrew Bible, but it's used in in some of the different works of mystical Judaism, the most prominent one being called the Zohar. Anyway, the name that is given to that source of everything in Hebrew, it's called the Ein Sof. And all that means in English is without end. That's what it's referred to. Uh-huh. And what are the and in again in Jewish mystical uh, theology, I'm not going to get too much into it. Uh, but but arising from manifesting from the Ein Sof, that no thingness um, that is the source of everything arises 10 particular qualities uh, that manifest themselves into all the things that are here in the world. And um, there's a great uh, uh, 20th century Jewish uh, academic and uh, mystical writer. He's now dead. His name was Gershom Sholem. And he said, as a way of describing the Ein Sof a little bit, uh, and the manifestation, the world that is a manifestation of the Ein Sof. He says, think of the of the world and all the differences in the world as a tree. Okay, you've got trunk and bark and branches and leaves and thorns and flowers and you know fruit and or nuts and you know, so you know so many different 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 things. And he says. If the universe can be looked at as a tree and it's all of its multiplicity, the aim sof can be thought of or understood as the sap of the tree. The sap and of the tree. Go ahead. Yeah. You well, I, I, I think you've you got it. Finish the analogy for me. Go ahead. 
No, no well, I, I keep yeah. seeing the um, yeah. the um, tree of life, and and how well, the yes. different Sephora's are 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 in it. It is the tree of life. If you look at it and understand the different um, the different concepts, that it, it is a roadmap in many ways that you flow along to find that wholeness that is within you and. And it does talk about how, you know, you go through times of challenge, you go through times of doubt, you go through times of, of understanding how, you're, how you should treat your fellow man. And, and, and it does take you to the enlightenment that you're seeking. And, and, you know, I would strongly urge people to take a look at the tree of life because it is a roadmap for you, at least in my, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Yes to all of that. Um, let me take a minute and go back to to completing the analogy that that oh, yeah. I, it was what I thought you were going to say, and, and I, I'd just like to finish that out because it'll help close the loop. So, if the universe is the multiplicity of all the different parts uh, of a tree, and the Ain Sof is the sap of the tree. Now, the sap of the tree is the essence of everything in the tree. The sap isn't brown like the branches. It isn't tough like the bark. It isn't soft like the leaf. It isn't, doesn't have a beautiful smell like the flower or a taste. It, it has no qualities. Uh, yet it has the infinite intelligence to manifest all different qualities. And it has the infinite creativity to create all these many different types of, say, trees, keeping with the analogy that we have in the universe. So the, the sap is the source. It's the essence. And it still exists as the essence of the leaf. It's there as the essence of the branch. The sap is, 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 is what is the source of the fruit and the flower and everything like this. So that's why we're never not connected to it because our, our subtlest essence in all of our diversity is that same oneness. It's the sap of the tree of which we are all different aspects. Well, in a way, isn't it also the breath of life, the source of, of what animates us, the creation, the piece of creation that is within us, and yes, it is. The more, the more that we, the more that we allow that source to branch into the different aspects of our life, the more it in, enlightens our life. And and you know, to me, we are a, a result of creation. We have within us a piece of creation, and the more that we utilize that creative source within our life in all sorts of ways the greater the abundance that we have within our life Barbara you're rewriting my book right here on the air <laughs> I, I told you before I, we I love speak it. the I same language <laughs> we are Barbara we're speaking the exact same language it's beautiful well it, it's well, I think I, what I want, what, what I really want to put across to, to the audience is 
while this does come from a Judaic philosophy point of view and, and this is your training, uh, you know, mine comes from a different place. It's saying the exact same thing. And, yes, ma'am. And the, the, more, the more people understand that no matter how diverse, strange, and different a system, you know, a, 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 a religious system or a philosophy is, if you take it back to its core, you will find that they all come from the same place. It's just a different way of interpreting it. Yes, and you know, I, I've been thinking, you know, to, to make a sort of a uh, public call to other authors of other religions uh, to write a similar kind of a book to the one I wrote. Now, I'm not saying they haven't already been written. I'm sure some of them have, uh, uh, but 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 to the extent somebody feels inspired, a theologian. Uh, a minister, um, a, a mystic, uh, any, any, an, an, an academic uh, in, of different religions, uh, to say, yes, this is resonating with me, and I'd like to tell the same story through my lens. And the universality that I think will emerge from that will be very, very healing and eye-opening many of us in the world oh absolutely and if you go if you go way way back in time um to to the very beginnings there were um in the orkney islands there were tribes of people who did not have they did not have a quote-unquote religion but they had a way of life that they lived that was their religion and and I I think we should truly return to that kind of concept because so often where we come from, you know, um, people cling to it instead of understanding the teachings that come that came from it because the teachings yes. are basically the same. I mean, it all goes back to the golden rule, basically, and you will find that in almost wow. every organized religion. And and it just to me it yeah. we 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 society today is so separatist that they don't yes. that, that it we kind of forget that 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 I did I had a, a class at one time and they were all into you know races and religions and stuff like that and I I said okay and I said I'm going to put up. Ten people here, uh, pictures of ten people, and, and I want you to tell me what race they are and what religion they are. And, you know, everybody was all set because that's easy. You know, you take a look at somebody, you can kind of guess. And what yeah, I did was yeah. I put up shadows. And uh-huh. they, they, the, the class, this is an adult class. This was in a graduate program. Finally, somebody said, well, how can we tell? And I said, well, would you like this to be more specific? And yeah. and somebody said, I can't even tell if they're male or female. And, you know, I said, well, <laughs> do you want another picture? And I said, sure, no problem. And I put up x-rays. And someone said to me, how can we tell the difference when all we see is what's inside? And I said, <laughs> I said, exactly, class is over. Think about it. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant. Yeah. 
It, yeah. it, it actually was. I was so proud of myself yeah. for that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, it's kind of like, we are all the same, and, and we come from the same source. We are a family. It's called a family of man for a reason. Yeah. yeah. And, and to, yeah. to not understand that and then, and then go from there because, yeah. um, but, but, you know, I, I, think, I think the journey that, that all of us are on, most people, 90% of the people listening to this, this show are on if they've gone this long into it they're in there searching for it too and mm-hmm. so so you talk about specific ways in which you utilize or you you work with people um to help them find that transformational transcendent moment in their lives so you want to explain how how you lead people through this to to well I, yes, uh, although I, actually I don't. I don't lead people through it. I, 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 am, not, I am not a <clears throat> meditation uh, teacher. So oh, I, I got I, that. <clears throat> so, so I ask um, folks to find, find their way of, um, <clears throat> of touching the transcendent. And, and, and I will tell you what technique uh, th- that I fell upon 48 years ago when I started to meditate and I continue to do so. But when people ask me, uh, if and when people ask me uh, how to touch the transcendent, um, I I tell them three things. Number one, I say, if you have got some technique that you are using right now and you feel that it connects you with source it gives you some of those experiences, you know, not necessarily every one, every time that I described uh-huh. earlier. And, but most importantly, you feel you're getting good results in your life. Somehow you're sort of, you're in the flow of the flow of life. Uh, uh, you're connected maybe with, with, you know, with the nature, with nature and the world around you. And, and, and life is becoming um, maybe, maybe easier for you. Uh, good things are happening. Uh, n- not that never bad things will happen, but 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 you seem to you seem to be in tune with the world around you. Stick with that technique, you know. Stick with that practice. Uh, whatever you're doing, don't make any changes. It ain't broke. Just keep with it. Now, if somebody uh, doesn't have a technique, go ahead. No, no, keep going. Uh, if somebody does not have a technique that's working for them that they like and they've integrated into their life. Then I mentioned the technique that I learned a long time ago that I still use, which is the uh, meditation practice called transcendental meditation. Some people have heard of it. Uh, it's sometimes referred as TM. Um, you know, you can go online to tm.org and find out about it. And there, you know, there's a worldwide organization that teaches it and supports it and, um, the quality control, you know, of what you're going to learn when you learn the technique is, you know, second to none. I mean, you, you know you're going to get get what you're um, looking for. And the amount of uh, scientific research that backs it up and people's experiences and the support organizations there, it's, you know, uh, so, it, you know, it's the thing I've been doing, and so I'm sticking with it, uh, and I just let people know that it's available for them. 
Now, uh-huh. if they don't want to try transcendental meditation, then I say, hey, go find something that resonates with you. Uh, go to your local uh, church or synagogue that may teach meditation. Go to a yoga studio. Go online. Uh, go, uh, you know, read books. I mean, there's apps. You know, there's so many places to go. It can be a little bit daunting, but you've got to follow your intuition and you have to find uh-huh. something that, you know, that's meaningful to you. And uh, so that's, that's really just what I say. I, uh, um, I, I, I want to let people find, find the way of, of touching source that's most meaningful to them. And I just describe sort of in, uh, in order, of, you know, the recommendations that I have. Uh, no, well, as, as as many people as there are on the planet, that's how many different forms of meditation there are. All right. Sure. And and okay. you know, it's some people <clears throat> weed their gardens, some people knit and crochet, some people. It, it basically is a form of ta- taking um, taking your mind out of it and thinking and allowing spirit to come in and flow. And that's really what what meditation truly is. And if you're mm-hmm. sitting quietly and and everything is peaceful and calm and you and you suddenly say to yourself, I guess I'm meditating now, then no you're not, you're thinking. <laughs> and and it's, yeah. it's 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 taking you out of the thinking process and going more into the allowing. And that's, you know, so many people say, well, that still quiet voice, you know, may not be in residence within me. And yeah, it is. But it isn't going to speak with a bullhorn. And in many cases, you get your information in different ways. It isn't really somebody whispering in your ear, though it could be. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's you'll, you'll, you'll know it by how you feel. Um, I once asked, uh, I forget, I don't know what kind of workshop it was, but I remember asking the, um, the instructor, you know, how do you know if, if, if a workshop or a lecture or whatever is, is spiritually based and if what you're getting is, is a, pur- a purer form of spiritual information? And she said, oh, that's easy. If you come away from a class or a workshop or a lecture or a radio program or whatever, and you are just so charged you can't believe it, if you are excited and thrilled and and energized, you have been in the presence of spirituality. Mm -hmm. And, And if you're dozing off, which I have done with congregations from time to time, um... You know, then, then you know that, that, that they're not hitting the mark, that they may, may be talking from personal experience, but, but it, it, it doesn't resonate. It's not on that level. And it's, it's so easy if you're walking out of a church service or a lecture or a workshop and you feel drained, then you know that your vital energy has been sucked out of you, not intentionally, but, but you know, no. the spiritual energy wasn't there. And it, it's a it's something over the last fifty sixty years that I have utilized and and you can tell in a heartbeat and you know yeah. if you paid for something sit through it but but if there's if there's that 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 
that excitement inside of you that that something has touched and and suddenly you're flowing with all sorts of enthusiasm you have been in the presence of a spiritual person and you know they're not walking on water and they're they're as human as you are but they have clicked into that part of themselves and they've shared their philosophy with you and whatever fits take and whatever doesn't fit let it flow past right right let it go yeah um, Barbara, I'd like to say a couple of things uh, about meditation and different types of meditations, uh, if I could, for a, minute, for a moment. Sure. Um, you know, some people uh, uh, will ask me, well, David, you, you wrote a book uh, about Judaism, uh, and there's even a chapter in your book about different Jewish types of meditation uh, over the centuries, and, and now you're telling me you practice a secular <laughs> type of uh, meditation. Why, why that, and why not? Why don't you do uh, a type of Jewish meditation that the sages used maybe five, six hundred years ago? And um, I have two answers to that question. Uh, one is, uh, it, it's not what I learned 48 years ago, and it's and and what I learned has been working for me. So I follow my own advice, which is, you know, if it ain't broke, don't uh, you know, don't fix it. Uh, but also, the the meditation techniques of the sages of centuries ago, uh, when I have researched them and read about them, I don't think, even yet in modern times, have we really gotten to the core secrets of those types of meditations. And what I mean by that is the literature that I read always says these meditations are not for everyone. They're for the the most pious. Uh, These meditations can be difficult and can even be dangerous for you if not done properly. you know, these meditations, you know, need to start at midnight and, you know, you need to spend an hour preparing beforehand and then you'll meditate through the night. And, and I'm thinking, gee, um, this doesn't seem like it's going to be, as you said before, uh, uh, energizing for me. I'm, no. You know, I... I, you know, and so, uh, you know, and, and, and I have toyed with some of these Jewish meditations, but, and maybe they require lots and lots and lots of practice uh, in order to become easy so your mind can settle down uh, and, and reach the point where you transcend, you go beyond thought, uh, as you described. Uh, but but they all seem to be um, com- more complex, and I, and I think there's a possibility that in the future, and I'm not going to predict. I have no idea when, how long in distant in the future, but we may find the key to these ancient Jewish meditations that make them accessible uh, to 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 everyone and make them easy 
and and um, uh, you know pr- provide uh, the benefits that the sages were were looking for. And the sages were looking for the benefits that you and I have already discussed today. Um, you know, cleaving, uh, cleaving to God, letting one's ego, one's thoughts, one's emotions, you know, fall away, and just and just um, being in awe of the silence and things like that. Uh, and I'm not going to go through. I probably covered ten different types of Jewish meditations in the book. But but, but, but again, they're all about this connecting, uh, emptying your mind, um, you know, so you so you can be with God. Uh, but I, I just am not sure that we've really found yet the key to these. I'm hoping that we will. But but in a way, if you want to go back two thousand five thousand years. If you take a look at society as a whole, no TV, no radio, no newspapers, no books, no um, internet, no, you know, the 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 atmosphere was clearer, the air was better. Um, there were not the distractions that there are in today's world to enable someone well, to do that. You know, I, I mean, there are. There, there are Tibetan monks in mountain places, I'm sure, that are not encumbered by all of the distractions that are able to sit in meditation for days, weeks, and months, that are able to slow their heartbeats. They're able to do so many of the things that they, they are able to do. But, mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. they are isolate, too. And in order to get to that point... Life has to be far more simplistic than than it than it than it is today. I mean, it's just um, it, it's you know I, I I agree with you, but I don't see how someone can get to that point where you don't worry about the rent and the mortgage and food and clothing and putting kids through college. None of that was was there encumbering someone's ability to be quiet and listen and and yeah i I think that's part of it barbara but but i don't think it's the whole thing because um uh, it it, it wasn't as as i read about these these meditation techniques there, there, there wasn't any complaint about the inability to um you know, walk outside of your your little hut or your tent, and go into the forest and find quiet. Um, uh, you know, and even now, you know, we 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 even if we have kids, we we can for fifteen minutes uh, often. Um, go, you know, go into our bedroom and close the door and and have fifteen minutes of quiet. Um, and and again, the the technique that I you know that I use and you know, millions of people around the world use the technique of transcendental meditation. Um, you, you can, it, the technique is such that it will facilitate the quieting of the mind and, and you can regularly, um, you know, touch the source. So I think p- part of it may be finding the time to be alone, but even with today's distractions, many, many people uh, use different med- different types of meditations and successfully 
are able to quiet their minds and, and, and touch the source. So I think that's part of it, but I, I, still, think, I still think it can be done. And, and well, my experience and the experience of many others is that it can be done. Well, I, you know, I certainly um, will attest to and I agree to the, the element that, that meditation um, is absolutely a very powerful tool. And uh, I, I know we found there were studies done, um, gosh, you know, it really makes me feel old when I say 30, 40 years ago, but, but 30, 40 years ago, um, there, there were some studies done in um, an area uh, of Connecticut where um, I, I studied and, and um, worked with spiritual and, and um, philosophies and, and practices. And they found that um, it, it, we, we had a, a regular meditation that we did as a group and um, we did it at the same time every week. And they did find that, that in the hospitals and that were close and nursing homes that were closest to us, that the, the regularity of that meditation, they did find at that point in time um, that the, there was less complaints and less illness and less all sorts of stuff mm. when, the, mm-hmm. when the group was together meditating. So a group of people meditating can change um, the environment around them if, if it's done consistently at, at, you know, uh, for a great length of time. Uh, also, there was a, a group, it was done on the 11th day of the 11th, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. 11th month. And it, it was, they had chambers, uh, crystal chambers. They were, they were just chambers. And they had crystals in them. And for an hour at that particular point in time, groups of people meditated on peace. And for a number of years, it may still be going on. I don't know if it is or not. But, but they had these chambers in every time zone so that for, for that one period of time, 11 to 12 on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, the earth was circled with a meditation for peace. Mm-hmm. And, and it had impact. And med- they did, in your book, you talk about a um, group of people mm-hmm. who, were, who went to different regions where there was um, a great deal of, um, of crime and, and stress, stuff like stress that. And they, and evil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And they, they, they meditated together. And during that time frame, when they were doing it, uh, I, I don't know, were they constantly meditating or was it just at certain no, hours? No. Yeah, just, it was just uh, during, you know, certain, you know, several hours during the day. And, and so crime rate went down and all sorts of other yeah. things went down. And then when they dispersed, crime rate went back up. So, so yeah. meditation, on top of being a wonderful tool for self-awareness, it does, it's not just for you. And, and I, guess, no. I, guess it, I guess to say to people, look, do this for you and listen for the small voice and get your transcendental, get your, get your mountaintop experiences and, and everything, but understand that you are being of benefit to your environment as well. It's not mm-hmm. just for you that you're doing it. You're doing it for all of yes. mankind. Yes, yes, and I, um, I, uh, I want to reemphasize that. And, and again, by saying that, again, the subtitle of my book is to uplift ourselves and our world. 
So again, we're talking the same same language. And these studies, uh, uh, I haven't seen the write-ups uh, of the ones that you described. I just don't happen to be familiar with them. But but I do uh, document in my book, you know, a handful of sort of these societal change ones that were published in peer-reviewed journals. Uh, these are not just you know somebody making something up using scientific uh, methods with baselines and you know statistical significance uh, that these things are are uh, are happening so uh, I, I don't know that we have you know all the answers on why uh, yet but um, mm-hmm. but you know from a scientific perspective but again, from a theological perspective of the oneness of us all, um, you know, when um, uh, you know when 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 one person sits and, and touches touches their source, then by definition, the source of everyone is being is being touched and palpitated, so to speak. And and what is that source? That source is the infinite intelligence that created the world. And when that infinite intelligence is enlivened, then it becomes enlivened in our, in our lives and in everyone's lives. Uh, And so that's a sort of a, you know, a theological or a spiritual explanation. Um, You know, I think the, uh, the scientific explanation is maybe, maybe yet to come. Barbara, I'd like to say one other thing if I could, about sure. a couple of different types of meditations. Because they're, they're, I've been talking about, uh, you know, a type of meditation that, is, that gives us a transcendental experience. It facilitates transcendence. And, and the reason I want to talk about this is because so often nowadays when people say, oh, I meditate, and then someone says, oh, you practice mindfulness. Um, those two words are often taken as synonyms, and I just wanted to talk very briefly about how they are not synonyms. That mindfulness is a type of meditation, uh, one that produces nice benefits and it's very beneficial for people, uh, but it is not a transcending type of meditation that necessarily helps us quiet down and touch our source and go beyond thought and beyond emotion. And the reason is because simply, you know, due, due to the way it's practiced. I, I mean, I've taken a mindfulness course. I'm sure many people practice mindfulness and they get benefit from it. Um, you, you know, you sit quietly, perhaps focus on your breath for a little bit, and then you become gently aware or mindful of thoughts that come to you, emotions. Something may trigger you and you say, ah, I never really thought of that before. And you let it go. You let your mind quiet back down. But the pr- practice of mindfulness, it helps connect you with your psyche, with your, with your emotions, and, and, um, and it can calm you down and produce a number of benefits for you. So it's uh-huh. a, you know it can be a very very helpful type of meditation, but it's not necessarily one that facilitates transcendence. So it's a different type of meditation than the type I'm talking about in my book. And there's another popular type of meditation 
that I'm not talking about in my book that also provides benefits, but different types of benefits. It's a meditation that's considered a focused or a concentration meditation. So let's say you feel like you uh, want to bring forth some quality in your life more strongly than you have in the past. Maybe you want to be more, um, you maybe want to be more compassionate or you may want to be more grateful or courageous or you know, whatever quality you want. And so you'll sit and, and you will focus, you'll concentrate on that particular quality and think about maybe instances in your life where you were or were not bringing that quality forward. And, you know, think about, you know, it's, you know, how you want to, uh, how, how you want to grow that quality in your life. And, and, you know, after some period of time of doing that, you, you know, you'll be done with your meditation and, and you'll carry that out with you into the world and you'll, and you will be more compassionate you will notice that it's time to be more grateful. Oh, I should be grateful now. I shouldn't be honking my horn or this or that. Yeah, but you're not transcending during that. You're not going beyond because you're still thinking, you're still feeling, you're still analyzing. But it produces a different type of benefit. So I just wanted to lay out that there are different types of meditations, each with different types of benefits. And the one that I'm talking about in my book is A-type um, that facilitates the experience of transcendence. Yeah, it is. It is very different. You're absolutely right. Um, when I was living in Connecticut, I had um, I had I had a large piece of property, and I my dream was to create a meditation garden that one could walk through and, and meditate and, and connect with with nature and I started with a blank canvas and then discovered that my my property was built on on a gravel pit which um, I mean one of the positives is good drainage one of the takebacks is no dirt um and and so I I I created the garden I stood in the middle of my yard and I said okay this is going to be my garden and my garden will grow. And a year later, I had the most magnificent garden that looked like it had been there forever because every time I went out to work in it, I was connecting with source. And this is not a transcendent experience. This is how I used meditative energy to mm -hmm. convince, convince nature to grow and flourish. And mm -hmm. it was the most magical thing in the whole world. But but there was direct intent, you know, help me to create a garden here where peacefulness and, and love and everything, uh, you know, and can can be had. And it was it was the most ma it was a very magical experience, but there was great intent in it. And I know when somebody came with their children and asked what I had, I, I said, it's a meditation garden. They said, oh, I don't believe in it. And it's like, you know, you don't have to enjoy the flowers. But the kids wanted to know how you walked the pathway. And it was a 11 series of 11 steps for 11 stages to transcendence, hopefully, at some point in time. And so I said to the kids, well, you know, you have to take this seriously. And, you know, they were 
13 and 14 years old, I said, every time you step on the next stepping stone, you have to think a loving, kind thought for someone. And there were a lot of steps. And by the time those kids got actually done walking it, they were quiet, they were loving, they were well-behaved. Their parents said, how did you do that? And I said, "They, they actually did what I told them to. Every time they took a step, they had a loving thought of a pet, an animal, whatever. But they, they had love that they were generating from their being that was flowing out over everyone. And and it, it's a magical thing to do. And, and you don't have to, I mean, a structured meditation, certainly one that you're sitting and, and you are um, opening yourself up to source, is a whole other ball of wax. And listening for that small small voice inside of you I mean, it's not easy but it's so worthwhile and you know some people may hit it the very first time they do it and other people may may have to grow into it um i know that that if i'm going to that level it you know i can get there intentionally mm. but this is after 50 years so, you know, it's, it's, it's something you – and what is really cool is every time, every so often along the way, I hear, well, congratulations, but there is another step. <laughs> oh, yeah, there, there's, there's always another step. Uh, but I must say, Barbara, my experience is, is, is different than yours. Um, mm-hmm. I, I find that my ability to – to, to uh, sit quietly with the meditative quieting of the mind is easy. Uh, and um, in, in my book, actually, I describe my first experience of transcendence, which occurred on the very first day when I learned to meditate. It was my first experience of meditation, and it was an amazingly profound experience of transcendence. And I'll, I'll describe it here if you think the listeners are interested in it. But, oh, sure. But, but the point is that I found that, it, that I find that it is, is, uh, that it is not difficult, it is, that it is easy. And one of the hallmarks of, uh, of, a, of, a, of a practice that, that, that does facilitate transcendence has got to be, I think, that it is easy because if you have to try, then your mind isn't settling down. But anyway, so I, I, I was um, I went to learn how to meditate. I'm not sure why I did. This is back in 1975. Uh, I was a senior in college at the time. I, I think I did it in part because uh, my my girlfriend at the time had had already learned uh, to meditate and had been doing so for about a year. And I thought, well, okay, maybe this is a thing I should do. Plus, in my, in my school life, a couple of my professors uh, had been meditating, uh, and they, they were doing transcendental meditation, as, as was my girlfriend. That was the thing that was around at the time. So, uh-huh. And I respected them greatly and, and uh, saw how they carried themselves with some sort of grace and ease uh, around um, elementary school classrooms where uh, I was doing student teaching that year. Anyway, so it's a spring day in 1975, 
and I'm in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, where I'm going to college. And I go to sit down and to meditate, and I, you know, I learn learn the technique. And the teacher says, "Okay, go ahead and continue to meditate. Don't worry about the time. I'll tell you when when it's you know when it's when you're done." And so I, you know, do the process that she had taught me. And again, some of these things that I described this this overwhelming sense of calm just descended upon me. And, and I also remember hearing nothing and and throughout you know much of the time or some of the time, I you know, I don't remember how much, you know, thinking nothing. And um and I sort of you know, sort of went into this transcendence and they would come out again and go back in, come out. And then again I described this sense of sort of knowingness of everything but uh not really knowing anything. And the time went by very quickly. And then she says, Okay, you're done meditating. Stop meditating, um, sit quietly for a couple of minutes, and then we'll talk about your experience. Okay, then she leaves the room. All of a sudden, my senses are engaged. And I'm going to describe to you, Barbara, and to the listeners, the very first thought that came into my mind after I had finished meditating my first time. The birds in the trees and the cars on the highway are singing the song of life together in perfect harmony and the world is unfolding just as it should be. Now that sentence, Barbara, has seared itself. This is 48 years ago. That sentence has seared itself into my mind. That was my first thought as I came back from transcendental awareness to regular waking waking state awareness uh, and to me and, and I didn't understand the the depth of it at the time but I'm going to explain at least my current understanding of what made that thought I think so awesome and incredible this thought that the birds in the trees and the cars on the highway, because that's what I was hearing. It was a spring afternoon. The window was open. I heard birds in the trees, and I heard cars on the highway. The birds uh-huh. in the trees and the cars on the highway are singing the song of life together in perfect harmony. What I have come to interpret that thought arising from is it's the oneness of the universe is showing itself not just at the level of the transcendent, but it is making itself visible, so to speak, in our everyday world. When the birds and the cars are singing the song of life in perfect harmony, then there's a connection there, a oneness that at the transcendental level, you can't associate a thought with it. Um, It's just there. But Uh when we bring it out, when, when you stop meditating and then you, 
and then we bring our regular experiences of the material world to our mindset, and our mindset is still lingering for a minute in oneness, and that's the thought that or that's a thought that arises. And and since then, um, that has even that has brought not again not just this Jewish theology of the Ein Sof, the oneness from which everything arises, the sap, which is the oneness that is the essence of all the diversity in the world. Um, but it, it has brought that, con- it brought that concept alive to me in my life. And, and, and um, it was an experiential concept before I even understood it which to me I think made it even all the more powerful. Oh, absolutely. I I have often said, <clears throat> and people who listen to the show a lot will, will recognize my thought here, is that, that when you become ingrained in this form of, of inner seeking, it changes your perception of the world from black and white to technicolor. And done on a regular basis, it shifts not only that moment when you are in a transcendental state, but it impacts how you view your life um, on a regular basis. It, It changes the way you perceive situations and people and and. And everything, it shifts your focus, it expands your understanding of reality as we know it. Amen. And it it, does that spontaneously. Oh, yeah. You don't have to work at it. It does it spontaneously, and it goes back to the statement you made very early in our conversation, Barbara, about the golden rule. It's Uh not just the I, it's the we. It's the moving from the I to the we. The other person and yourself uh, are, are are not at our essence different things, and we want to we want to honor, respect, and act uh, in a way that that uh, uplifts all of us together. Well, I think yes, and and I think also it 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 makes you appreciate everyone and you know not everyone is going to be at the same place at the same time but knowing that they have that that ability that that it's in them that it's there it it gives you a better understanding of what what oneness is and it takes away the the diversities it takes away the different categories it makes everybody at the same place you know, yes, and they're experiencing something differently, but we're in the same place. And you know, it, it's the, the 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 family of man keeps coming up here, and it's it's like it's like we are all one. You know, and and it, it's it makes it easier to see the the commonalities as opposed to the the conflicts. Yes, and, and, it and I'd like. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I, was, I, I was just saying yes, 
and I wanted to expand on that. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, we are all the same in our essence, and we are also vastly different in many ways, which makes the tapestry of life so beautiful. And when I write a book about this concept of oneness and I get into Jewish theology of the commandments, um, some people will know that in the Hebrew Bible, there are not just ten commandments. There are are hundreds of commandments in the Torah, in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, 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 uh, and Jewish tradition teaches that we connect with God by performing the commandments. So Judaism is a religion of, of laws, of commandments. And the idea is by following those laws, then we, then we, um, then we, you know, then we connect more closely with God and we, and we, and we can follow those laws, uh, traditionally at, at, um, at many levels, uh, we can follow them at the sort of the literal level, um, you know, uh, which is very important. Like, you know, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not murder. How about following that at the literal level? That's worth doing. Uh, and we, there are also commandments, as you mentioned, uh, love your neighbor as yourself, uh, which may be a little harder to suss out at the literal level, but we also have the ability to follow the commandments at, 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 at another level. In Hebrew, we call it sod, the mystical level. And this connecting with God uh, through this transcendental quieting of the mind is a way of following the commandments at the mystical level. We can still follow them at the literal level. Uh, one doesn't negate the other, uh, but uh, it expands our way of connecting with God uh, by connecting at different levels. Now, that, that's a brief discussion about Judaism and, and connecting with God uh, and Judaism being a religion of, of laws uh, that we follow at different levels to help us connect with God. But how beautiful that there are other spiritual traditions, uh, religions that, that connect with God through other ways, uh, Christianity through Jesus and um, other maybe uh, you know na- native traditions through through the earth and and this tapestry of all these different ways of connecting with God uh, shows us that there are so many different paths to do so and and we should honor and respect all these different paths because they add such a richness to life uh, and differences to life, even though at our essence we are all the same. Mm-hmm. I think what what can be confusing is, I mean, originally I think it was six, 615, 613 laws, something like that, that were handed down. 600. Commandments, yeah. Commandments, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Laws, yeah. Are they are now they applied in that time frame? Have they evolved but, into the in, into tradi- in, into current times? I mean, things like not wearing 
two different kinds of, you know, cotton or linen or, you know, right. I mean, there right. there, are yeah. some unusual uh, laws there. There are. And, and the very definitive answer to that, Barbara, is yes and no. Um, so let me start with the, uh, uh, the yes. And, and also I need to briefly touch on the word evolve because there's a whole Jewish um, discussion about what that means too. But I'm not going to make it too long, but I do want to answer your question. First of all, there are well over 100 of these commandments that can no longer be practiced at all right now because they're commandments related to the practice of animal sacrifices back when the temples were built. Uh, there were two uh, temples in Jerusalem. The first one built maybe about, I think, a thousand years before the Common Era, and then it was destroyed after 400 years or so. Then after about another hundred years, another temple was built, and it was destroyed in the year 72, uh, uh, 70 of the Common Era. And so um, all those commandments around around the temple and temple sacrifices and, and, and other rites uh, cannot be practiced anymore. Okay, there are other commandments that um, specifically relate to if you're living in the land of Israel. So um, some of those commandments are, you know, are practiced now in Israel, but not in the diaspora or, you know, the rest of the world. And then, but there are still, you know, you know, many commandments that still are in force and are practiced at different levels of um, thoroughness. Um, and, you know, the, the commandment about not wearing a garment uh, made out of cotton and linen, yes, that is still practiced by many, many people. Um, and so, uh, you know, different, um, different uh, movements in Judaism, you know, have developed over the years. And I'm, I won't be surprised if your readers are, you know, understand this, but, you know, initially, you know, there was just, you know, Judaism, you followed, you know, you followed the commandments, but, you know, in, in the late 1800s, there was a, oh, I don't want to get into too much detail here, but there was a, uh, a, a um, you know, a movement saying we, we uh, Jews should assimilate more into society. This didn't just happen in the late 1800s, but it was, but, but what came out of this was called the reform movement came out of Germany and, 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 and that people should not feel so bound to practice the commandments in a traditional way, and they should have a, more of a personal choice on what's meaningful to them. And so um, Jews became maybe more assimilated into society and dropped some of the commandments from their daily practice. And then the pendulum swung back the other way, and we have a movement called conservative Judaism, which then you know, moves us back because people thought you know, that they were going too far. And so there, it's just the, the landscape uh, is very vast in terms of of how the commandments are practiced and at what levels they're practiced. Uh, but again, there's, there's well over hundreds that can't be practiced at all, but many are still in force today. I, I know that was a long answer to your question, but I also want to talk about, if you'll permit me, the idea of evolving. Um, oh, there sure. is a yeah. discussion. There, there's a discussion in Judaism that I talk about a little bit in the book about whether the commandments in the Torah um, 
are static. Uh, in other words, whether we have a, a Torah of truth, uh, in English we say, or whether the comment, or whether we have a, uh, a living Torah. Uh, and what's the difference between the term a Torah of truth and a living Torah? And that is a, uh, a serious discussion uh, among observant Jews about whether the uh, commandments um, can be reinterpreted or should be reinterpreted uh, in, in, to fit with modern times. Uh, that would be called a living Torah or whether they are stuck exactly the way they are stated uh, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible and, and, and must be followed um, exactly the way uh, they are. And that would be considered the Torah of truth. That's just the terminology that, that we use. And what, what makes it not a black and white answer is that in addition to the, the written Torah that, that we have in the Bible, um, there is also the oral law. Uh, which um, you know, was, you know, because the, the Bible was very terse and concise in what it says, and the rabbis always wanted to know, well, what does this mean? What does this mean? And, and so the oral law was developed, uh, and it literally was an oral law for thousands of years until finally around the, the year 100 to 300 uh, of the Common Era, the oral law, uh, got written down, uh, and and then there was commentary about the oral law that was written down, and all of that turned into a a um, a, uh, a, a series of, of volumes that is, um, is called the Talmud, and it it and and so there's discussions about well what are the limits of the written law and how can they be interpreted. And how do they stay relevant to us? And so there are pe- people who will say, well, the, 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 the written law can't change, but, but the oral law gives us flexibility on how we interpret it. And it, it, you know, it, 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 it's a whole big thing. And the way that I want uh-huh. to end this conversation is by saying that what I find very, very interesting about the Talmud is that when the rabbis were discussing and writing down uh, the oral law and the commentary on the oral law. Um, they wrote down the opinions of the rabbis who thought that the answer was A, about a certain ruling, and they wrote down in the Talmud the arguments of the rabbis who thought that the answer was B. Yes uh-huh. and no. Uh, they wanted to preserve um, the thought processes and the arguments and the rationales that the rabbis had because perhaps a ruling at that time would be based on circumstances that might be unique to that time or, or to what was going on uh, in that instance. And maybe at another time... Um, a rabbi would find a, and not just a rabbi, but you know, all of us living our lives, maybe who said in Talmud or don't, uh, will we'll find that there's a rationale for a different reason because of a different circumstance. And the rabbis understood that 
that this was a living, a living religion, uh, one that deserved the, the ear of the people who argued on different sides of the story. And so that these, these, these arguments, these theological arguments uh, are, are recorded um, with ambiguity, uh, both the uh-huh. yeses and the noes, so that we can be thinking and figuring and shaping our world uh, to make it be the way that we think it should be as we move into modernity. Well, I, I totally agree. I think that especially with the Ten Commandments, I've often said uh, when, when I did serve in the pulpit, I can remember saying, doing a sermon on them, not sermon, I didn't do sermons, I, I did a sharing. Um, and, and, you know, I, I went through what the Ten Commandments were, and I said, now, how many of you live by these? And, of course, everybody rose their, rose their hand, <laughs> raised their hands. <laughs> and, and, you know, I looked at them and said, you're all hypocrites. You know, let's take the biggest one, which, well, the most, the, the one that's easiest is thou shalt not kill. Has anybody here killed? And, and of course, nobody raised their hands. And I said, you know, I understand you may not have killed a person, but have you ever killed a person's dream? Have you ever killed a person's thought? Have you ever killed, you know, took, took away somebody's dream by negating it? That's killing as well. And, you know, I said, now, let me ask you again. Is anybody here killed? Everybody's hand went up. So that, mm-hmm. so that you know, I said you, you, you. These are liter- These are written in a very old book, and they did apply to the times, but they also apply mm-hmm. to these times. And mm-hmm. and take a look at them because we, we all have stepped on toes, and we all have, you know. Let's let's take a look at how else could this be interpreted? Because we we all have done all of this, and maybe we need to reevaluate our lives and how we live them in order to be in a greater compliance to these laws that have been around for thousands of years. So there, there has to be a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and again, uh, uh, to, to, to touch on Jewish theology a little bit, I, I hope I'm not interjecting too much Jewish theology into this talk because I know that's oh, no, go for really it. not our audience, but... but Okay, I mentioned that we that traditionally uh, Jews interpret Torah and they interpret uh, the commandments at multiple levels. And I talked about the uh, sort of the plain level, the literal level. In Hebrew, we say it's the word pshat. It, it just means the plain level, the Hebrew, uh, literal level. And that's what you were talking about when you asked. That's what people were thinking when you asked them the question the first time. Now, what's uh-huh. the second of four levels? I already mentioned the fourth level, the mystical level, which we call Sod. So what are the other two levels that traditionally Jews interpret Torah? The the next level is called Remez, uh, which just means um, a a sense, a feeling, a, um, uh, uh, like a sort of a, a, a... a story of uh, of what's going on, a reference to it, um, and um, so at a different level, you 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 know you can um, 
you can uh, you can you can look at that commandment and look at it sort of as a hint uh, of, of of what it means, and you can go 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 off on that sort of more at a feeling kind of level. And then mm-hmm. the third level is called drash, which is more the intellectual level. It's a story. It's an intellectual understanding uh, or a description of what's happening. So these these different these different levels of um, of interpretation, which you which you uh, elucidated uh, to the congregation that day uh, about how 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 we how we follow the commandments and how we can do so at different levels, and each level can bring a different or a deeper uh, or uh, uh, you know another perspective to to what the commandment means. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that that's part of transcendence. That's part of understanding. You know, this is this is this is where you start from. But but you know, keep stepping it up. Keep seeing, you know, how much deeper can you? It's an onion, and and you know, every time you take away another level, there's another way of perceiving it, and and that's what meditation will help you do. And and it's it's just it it. Ex- Expands your awareness to a degree that that you live your life differently, and and mm-hmm. you have all of these other layers that that you know, especially in places where you have always had a knee jerk reaction, you suddenly take a look at that knee jerk reaction and say, well, why is that happening? And maybe there's something I can change in me to make to to get a better response from what I'm what I've, I've looked for before. And it makes life so fascinating because it's not cut and dried. It's not black and white. It's, there's, there are so many different levels and shades. And, and you know, it, it, it gives you an opportunity to become a better person and a better part of your community and a better part of the family in which we all belong. So going into yes, this... Uh... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. And we're going into this process. It it changes the world. And, you know, everybody says, I'm just one voice. I won't make any difference. No, that's so not true. Because as you change yourself, people around you are forced to change in order to continue to be with you and deal with you. So that without you doing anything, you are changing your reality and and it's you know one step at a time it's somebody somebody once said my voice won't doesn't have any meaning and and that's not true it's it's kind of like a drop of water will create a ripple that will create a swell that will create a a wave that will eventually create a tsunami so that you put it out there and you live it and as you live it you affect every other person that you touch and and, it, and it's, there, there was a commercial on TV for Clairol, I think. And it was, a, and they said, told someone, and they told someone, and they told someone, and it showed how how it magnifies just from one person. So you can mm-hmm. change the world. You may not live long enough to see it, but you can. Well, uh, uh, you are you, you, speaking a very, very Jewish philosophy here, uh, whether you realize it or not. Uh, you know, when I talked about about the you know the Talmud and the rabbis 
opinions who said yes were, were written down and the rabbis whose opinions said no were written down. Um, Judaism is a religion very largely of action. Again, it's commandments. is the way that we should live our lives. That connects us with God, again, by interpreting them at, at multiple levels. And, uh-huh. and so, yes, we don't, we don't want to have an experience of transcendence just to sit there for 15 minutes and, 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 and have this sense of oneness and awe. We want to take that sense uh, of, of loving your neighbor as yourself when we experience that, that, that the birds in the trees and the cars and the highway are, are singing the song of life together uh, in perfect harmony. We want to take that sense of oneness, just as you said, out into the world and make it a better world. That's a very, that's a very, very deep tenet in, in Jewish theology. And we refer to it uh, sort of informally. Uh, we use the term tikkun olam. Uh, and what that means is repair the world. Our job is to repair the world. And, of course, it's not the, only the job of, of the Jews to do that. <laughs> but it is, a, it is a deep, deeply held tenet of Judaism, which you just so eloquently described, is that this sense of this oneness, this sense of this togetherness, this sense that we can uplift in ourselves uh, and our world together, uh, and we must do so. Um, that is a uh, that is at the core of, uh, of of Judaism, and so this these experiences of these of awe and godliness that we have. Uh, aren't just to have them, but are to take them out into the world and to help each other make the world a better place. Tikkun olam, we say in Judaism. Right, and and you're not, you know, it, not necessarily you're not going to um, <clears throat> walk on water or any of that unless it's frozen. Um, but <laughs> but well, you know. I can walk yeah, on water. Yeah. It just it just needs to be frozen, you know. And <laughs> I can levitate. Yeah. You just have to scare the bejesus out of me. But you know, it 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 it's 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 sort of like you you don't want to be obnoxious. You just want to change your life and your approach to it. And in doing yeah. that, you you change. It's it's like um, it, it's it's like you you just shift the way you live your life and and you don't have to be obnoxious about it um, no no and 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 what happens is people are affected by it and because they're affected by your changes they start to change and and yeah. you know you you don't create a tsunami overnight um uh, uh, unless it's big ice chunks falling off at, at the North Pole, and, and you know, not that—that's a different kind of tsunami. But, but the the Jewish people have been working on this for thousands of years, and the impact is clear. It's out there. It's been—it's it, seen, and it—it it, it impacts everybody. And and the way of life is not is not limited to the Jewish faith. 
It's, right, right. It's, it's, it's for everybody. And, and, you know, you don't have to become a Jew to have a, a transcendental experience. And, and when one has that, then, then all of the lines that divide us are erased. And there's a oneness, which is, which is amazing. Um, and heaven only knows that, that we could use a lot, of, a lot more of that oneness today because there is, no. such, there is such in, separateness in this world today. And, no. and yet, and yet um, there must be a reason for it because this is what's occurring. So, I mean, it's, it's not somebody once said to me, oh, my heavens, you know, there's something wrong with the world. There's nothing wrong with the world. We're going through a phase of change. And yes. we've gone through this phase before, and we'll probably go through it again. This isn't one of those times of peace, love, and, and kumbaya. It would be nice if it was, but it, it's not. But that will come again. And and it's just, I guess, maybe humanity has to sink backwards in order to move even further forwards when we start that forward movement again. It's it's a rhythm, mm-hmm. and. And, and we're all a part of that rhythm. And, mm-hmm. and knowing that, doing our part, um, seeking the source within us, seeking the transcendental, seeking that connection to the, to the nothingness that, that is a part of us, mm-hmm. is really a, an important journey for us. And everybody's mm-hmm. on the same journey. And more than seeking it, actually experiencing it because it's mm-hmm. it's po- it's possible to do it we we don't have to it, it, do doing it uh you you can find ways you can go out there and find ways to do it and by touching it not just seeking to touch it by touching it and doing so regularly on a daily basis will will make a noticeable difference in enlivening that <laughs> eternal that is already within us, uplifting ourselves and, and uplifting our world. It's, so it's, more, it's more than seeking. We can do it. It's doable. Oh, yeah. We have the ability. Yeah. And I think, too, while it is a deeply moving, touching experience, it's also a joyful celebration. So it's not, you know, you, you don't fold your hands and bow your head as much as celebrate with laughter and joy because you've touched something that is so magical and, and, you, know, and you know it exists, but you can't touch it, feel it, smell it or anything, but you know it. And that's what makes it so magic. I'm so glad you said that. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> no, it, it's just... That you brought it, that it, point out, yeah. It, we haven't it, talked it, about it, the joy, and I'm glad you did. Oh, you know, it's... I think the, the, the joy that wells up in you when you experience this, and, and you know, it, for me, it, it sometimes is frustrating because I'll just be so ebullient. It, I'm crazy, and I can't 
it's hard to bring someone along with you when they haven't had that experience and it's hard to explain it's it's like it's like reading a book that the words jump out at you and you just love it because you know whoever wrote it loved words and has woven a beautiful fabric and it's it's just so juicy you want to share it and there's nobody you can share it with and and so it's 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 a personal thing but you can share your response to it with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, with without mm-hmm. saying, you know, oh, I've just, I've had just such a cool experience with meditation. Is you, know, you, you can, you can, you can joyfully celebrate without telling people what you're celebrating, and everybody will find that aspect in their own way at their own time. You can't force it yeah. on people. Oh, no, you know, no, no, no! You you wouldn't want to because everyone's got their own, everyone's got oh, their yeah. own path. You, you know, the people that I talk to about the book that have had this experience of of transcendence, either purposefully through a through a, some practice, or they spontaneously fell into it, uh, like you did uh, when you were in your youth choir, and then maybe subsequently afterwards had. Uh, had other re, re, uh, ways of, of, of finding your way back there, but the people who have had it, uh, they they get what I'm talking about in the book uh-huh. in a very visceral way, and the people who haven't, but e- even if they're very learned uh, in theology, Jewish or otherwise, or academics, uh, if they haven't had that experience, they sort of appreciate what we're talking about, but they don't fully get it. And I bet there are people in, in your listening audience right now who are, again, they're nodding their, if they've had this, they're nodding their heads. They know exactly what we're talking about. And other people are saying, you know, that sounds good, but I don't really fully get this. Uh, and and my suggestion to them is go out and find a way to have this experience um, through you know, whatever way you can, uh, you know, through whatever suggestion I might have at the end of my book, which I described to you different ways of doing it. And once you have it, you'll see, you will be in awe. You will be in awe. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, again, the joyful part. I mean, I have, I have um, a sense of humor about this whole process. It's not that I belittle it. It's just that it is such a joyful experience. You, it's hard to be somber because it is just so enlivening and so exciting and so, you know, magical that 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 you you feel more, you see more, you experience more, and there's a greater richness in life because of it. And you know, it, it's um, you. You can talk about it. You can you can describe it as best you can, but until somebody has felt it, they don't understand what you're talking about totally, and that's okay because mm-hmm. you know everybody mm-hmm. will find their way in their own time in their own way, and and I do believe that everyone does at some point in time reach and touch it, and sometimes people experience it, appreciated it, but 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 don't go searching for it again. And then other people become crazy and, you know, 
they're they're out there, you know, looking for it all over the place. Um, it's a part of you. It's a richness that is impo- is a part of every one of us. So, so to to experience it and find it, you need only look inside, and and mm-hmm. it's there for you. And mm-hmm. I think that that that's one of if I have to say, there's anything frustrating about putting this kind of material out there. It's like everyone can have this kind of experience. You need only put the effort in and and it's there and and sometimes you experience it and you don't even know what it is until you reflect back on it later but it's there and it it changes your life so dramatically i mean uh it it gives you a different perception on on everything and it it takes anger away and vengeance away and it shows you that even the bad things that happen have happened for a good reason, and especially if you grow from it, then then it's even you know I mean there there have been times in my life when I've been through situations that have been horrible at the moment, and yet afterwards I learned so much from it. I, I am not spiritually evolved enough so that I wrote thank you notes to people, but I. I absolutely did appreciate the experience because it it taught me something wonderful about myself. Mhm. Mhm. Later, yeah, let me, uh, next, go ahead. No, I, I thought you were done. I was just going to move on to a related topic. Why don't you finish? Oh, sure. No, I'm done. Go ahead. Uh, so I, I just wanted to. Um, bring forth a, a quotation from, from a rabbi from the 18th century is Rabbi Menachem Nahum uh, of uh, he lived in Russia at the time. He said what is the world? The world is God wrapped in robes of God so as to appear to be material and who are we? We are God wrapped in robes of God. And our task is to unwrap the robes and thus discover that we and all the world are God. So it's that message. That's beautiful, I think. uh, Rabbi Menachem Nahum. And it it gets back to that that concept that... uh, Gershom Sholem taught that that the that if the universe is a tree, the the uh, the Ain Sof that that nothingness that is that is everything is the sap of the tree, and 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 it still lives in the essence of all of us. And when we unwrap the differences of the leaves and the bark and the fruit and everything, when we unwrap that we find that all that's there is the essence, the sap, uh, the oneness that is, that is all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I think that, that I think there's so much going on in the world today and so many people are struggling in so many different ways. Um, getting down to bare bones like this is sometimes very hard but I do feel that so many people today are, are looking for that journey within to 
to enrich themselves, if not with money, then with 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 love and understanding and compassion that that we also have within ourselves. So it's it makes life so much richer. I mean, I I don't have a lot of money, but I am so rich because of the joyful experience of all the people I get to touch, like you. Um, I mean, I I've had. In, I get to read your words, and then I get to talk to you about your philosophy. I mean, that's the greatest gift anybody can give you. And, you know, if I had to pay for a class from you, I'm not sure I would be able to do that. <laughs> well, the, 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 uh, you know, I've, I've listened to you know, several of your shows, and it must be mind-blowing and fascinating, the amazing conversations you have with so many, I'm not sure I could absorb it all. Uh, but it, but congratulations for you for for setting up a, a a way of life for yourself that that exposes you and people to these amazing concepts and and that you bring them bring them forth to to, to your audiences. It's uh, uh, I'm 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 appreciative to be a part of it. I really am. Well, this is this is my PhD program, and I I talk all of you into tutoring me for two hours and yeah. not having to pay you, which is so cool. <laughs> right. You got a good thing going. You got a good I thing going. I have a great thing going. It is such a gift, and um, the only thing I'm required to do is to read a book a week, and you know that's a joy for me. So uh, yeah. I I thoroughly uh, and I. And I think one of the things that um, makes all of these shows for me so important is that I honestly have read every book that I have interviewed someone on, so that mm-hmm. so that you know because because to tell you the truth, I, I realize how how great a, a job it is to sit down and to put our your words onto a paper and then and then get them published, and the process through publication is is mind-boggling. There's corrections, and there's this, and there's that. And, and to finally get a book out there is, is awe-inspiring. And so, yeah. so, you know, I think that in order to really honor you and your work, I have to read the book, because otherwise it, there's no way to get you to talk about stuff above and beyond what's in your book. Well, so, well thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, you know, you talk to people, you know, and I you speak with people uh, um, who have written many books, right? You say, uh, you know, I, this, you know, this is this person's, you know, eighth book and, you know, and they've done all these different things. Barbara, this is my first book. I'm 70 years old. I had a career as a management consultant, you know, for decades, uh, uh-huh. And uh, before, before that, as a uh, as an elementary school teacher, and uh, so this is really, uh, and I'm retired now, so this was my first retirement project, and um, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's been it's been an amazing uh, uh, experience uh, for me, and uh-huh. uh, you know I don't know what is going to you know come. I'm next uh, from it, but um, uh, but uh, well, I think once I, you uh, open this, 
once you open that spigot, there's no shutting it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now you sort of know what a woman goes. Now you know what a woman goes through when she births something. I'm not sure that I could really uh, uh, speak to say that I really fully appreciate that experience, but I understand the point that you're making. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well, I've had I've had yeah. the, the the joy of publication and the agony of birthing a child, so. I mean, there, there yeah. are there are comparisons for sure, um, but it, yeah. it is. Um, oh, I just noticed the time. Um, I want to make sure that people know where to get your book, and you have a website, but I don't know what it is. So, you want to give your website out and how tell people how can, how yeah. they can get your book? Sure, thank you. Uh, the website, believe it or not, is called transcendentaljudaism.com. Uh, okay. So it's easy uh, to find and. I've got links on there uh, to be able to jump over to Amazon and buy the book or barnesandnobles.com to buy the book, or you can buy it directly from the publisher, Stock, who I thank for picking up a first-time writer uh, and publishing the book. So that's, where, uh, that's how you can get the, the book uh, and find out a little bit more. Also, uh, I have done you know, several other talk shows and interviews and I have links to those on my website uh, if people want to um, hear about uh, about the book maybe from a little different angle uh, when I've spoken about it with, with other people. Uh, if we have a minute, I'd also like to talk about, uh, just briefly mention, a not-for-profit organization where I'm on the board of directors that uh, ties in a couple of important concepts uh, that we worked very hard on that we talked about today. The name of the not-for-profit is called Valley Beit Midrash, uh, and the, the website is V-A-L-L-E-Y B-E-I-T-M-I-D-R-A-S-H dot org. In Hebrew, it just means uh, house of study, Valley Beit Midrash. It's a, it's a Jewish not-for-profit, and it links what we're talking about today. We address the ethical teachings of our Jewish texts, and we work for social justice uh, in the communities and around the U.S., and we train up young people to pass the baton on to continue the work. So it's, it's an organization that I believe does great work, not just because it's educational, but it translates, as you were talking and we were talking about earlier today, it translates that education into action to make the world a better place and to pass the baton on so that we can keep the work going from generation to generation. Fabulous. And you squeezed it in. So I, that's wonderful. And, and if, if anyone missed it, you can always rewind and back this up. Um, the show will be on YouTube by tomorrow, and it, it goes out in, in archive over 20 or 30 different servers so we will get the word out there I want to thank you so much this has been such a delightful evening and I Barbara, so appreciate I really enjoyed mm-hmm. <laughs> I've enjoyed it and I appreciate your having me on the show it was a pleasure write another book we'll do it again that sounds wonderful that's maybe just the <laughs> invitation I need 
Okay. Thank you again. This has been a delight. <clears throat> the book is Transcendental Judaism, Enlivening the Internal Within You, Uplift to Ourselves and Our World. It's it's an amazing read. You will learn from it. You will grow from it. And it will set you on a pathway that uh, you'll eat. could be a lifetime pathway that will just enhance your life and, and those around you. So um, do check out David's book. Again, thank you, David. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, everybody, for being here tonight. And uh, check us out tomorrow night and Wednesday night because and Friday night. Uh, it's a busy week, and we look forward to seeing and hearing from all of you. Bye-bye now.